where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm John. And I'm James. And today we are talking about Season 9, Episode 23, Rat Girl. Who's Rat Girl walking away with you? That's, uh, Our dear beloved Rat Girl. That's uh, the original. Is it Eurythmics? I don't know. It's, your reference is lost on me, James. <laughs> <laughs> this episode aired on the 4th of April, 1991. It was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. The story editors were Dan Staley and Rob Long. And of course, was directed by James Burroughs. Ah, good old Jimmy B with a Rat Girl special. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're calling it, the Rat Girl special? Rat, rat Girl special. It's a fun yeah, one. It is, yes. There's a, there's a lot going on. There is. It took me a long time to make notes on this just because of how thorough I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair to say there's three plots in this? There's at least two. There's definitely three. What I've got here is Paul gets some attention, Rebecca goes on a diet, Lilith misses her rat. That's three. <laughs> yeah, that's three. They all get fairly equal coverage. I'd, I'd say C plot is Rebecca, B plot is Paul, A plot is Rat Girl herself, Lilith. <laughs> Lilith, Rat Girl, Stone and Crane. <laughs> Which I, I guess will reveal as we go into the episode why she is called Rat Girl. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, she isn't directly called it, but it's fairly obvious the title is referring to her, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the rat girl in real life, if it was a superhero, would they have been bitten by a radioactive rat? Or would they be like Batman, where they just have an obsession with rats? Mm, I think a feral rat. Or do you think it would be like Splinter in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> ooze. Ooze. The fat of ooze fell on <laughs> Lilith and she became a rat girl. Nah, That's I'm not it. sure about that. No, not buying it. Right. I feel like it's. I feel like it's more the Batman way because there's a tragedy in this episode. There is. Yes, she was walking outside an opera, and, uh, <laughs> and a rat stole her purse. <laughs> we'll kick off James with uh, the cold open, which is just as traumatic because it involves vegetables. My God, John. <laughs> What's with the vegetables, James? Uh, Rebecca's trying to do a health kick. Which is interesting because years later, Kirstie Alley would be a uh, spokesperson for Jenny Craig, which is a weight loss brand, which when they did one of the adverts for it, they actually recreated the Cheers set. She walks in as uh, Rebecca and Norman Cliff are still there. And this was only 10 years ago. <laughs> I feel like I need to go and look for that advert now, but I'm not because we're in the middle of a recording, James. <laughs> but I tell you what, we'll, we'll look at it afterwards and put it up on the socials. But they recreated the bar. Oh yeah, they did it very well. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I've written that in my uh, notes to have a look at later on. But I mean, you say it's it's a good start. Maybe this is where they got the idea that she should be the spokesperson because not only is she on her health kick, she's trying to influence the bar as well. Mm-hmm. She is. It's not going well. What's with the vegetables? Same as always, they're watching TV. <laughs> Sam, I have changed my diet. I'm finally eating right for the first time in 30 years. 30? What were you doing the other 12? <laughs> And I feel so good that I thought we can all work on our diet. So I'm making up this little vegetable plate. I mean, I figure if those guys are going to sit around and eat, they might as well eat something healthy. I don't think they're going to like this. Oh, they'll never even notice. What the hell? What's what? This thing I found in the pretzel bowl. Oh, my God, what are these? They appear to be orange and green sticks. 
I know what they are. You know when you go in a restaurant, you order a nice, big, thick, juicy steak, and they put this other stuff on the plate that you shove aside? Oh, you mean vegetables. <laughs> Can't be vegetables. It's no batter. I mean, it goes all right first. She swaps out the beer nuts for some vegetables behind their backs. Norm's reaching around to grab some, uh, what he thinks to be will be some beer snacks. He doesn't notice the, the texture change in his fingertips. He's not paying attention. He's watching TV. Yeah, but I feel like if I picked up a piece of carrot, I'd know it was a piece of carrot. It depends, because you could have like one of those uh, hard-boiled sweets or something. Just a piece of candy, really. It depends, because if, if you're not going for a shaven carrot, it'd be quite smooth, like a sweet. Either way, the, the moment he realises <laughs> is once he's bit one of the carrots and goes, this isn't a beer snack. Want to know my uh, little tidbit about carrots? <laughs> yeah, always, James. Yeah, you know the thing that uh, rabbits like carrots? You've heard this phrase or belief. They might like them but they're so full of sugar that you should only really give it to them as a little treat. And the idea or concept that rabbits like carrots comes from Bugs Bunny. And the only reason Bugs Bunny was eating a carrot was because he was doing a Clark Gable impression. The things you learn on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's useful in pub quizzes. Apart from that, it's a bit... Well, I mean, the obvious question after this is how many carrots can a, a rabbit have? You have to apply the scientific method <laughs> to figure that one out. <laughs> Depends on the rabbit, I guess. <laughs> The average rabbit. <laughs> well, there you go. You're kicking things off with the rodent theme for the episode, James. A rabbit's a rodent. They're a bit rodenty, aren't they? They got the teeth. I, I had a, a vegetable fact, but I forgot it now. Do you want to know what carrot is in Romanian? Carrot. Morcov. Why do you know that? You don't need to know where I know that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was a spy. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I remembered my tidbit, James. I had a cocktail recently. Yes. And the straw was... It, I thought the straw was candy. Mm. It wasn't a straw. It was a carrot. A little bit of carrot. It wasn't a carrot, but it was a, a food which you wouldn't find in a drink. So I was nibbling on this straw going, I, it's not plastic. My girlfriend was convinced it was a plastic straw. So she thought I was eating plastic. It was a piece of pasta. <laughs> I could see why, yeah. But it took me like ages just nibbling away at this straw going, it's not as sweet, but it's edible, I'm sure. This is food, this is. <laughs> And it was a dry piece of pasta. Yeah, you can eat that. Probably shouldn't, but you can. <laughs> this cold open reminded me of that because the guys, once they realise it's vegetables, Rebecca convinces them to try them. And their go-to thing to do is to dip them in their beers and soak them in some suds. Yep. I know a friend of mine who liked to uh, munch on baby carrots, but only if, you know, she uh, glazed them in golden syrup. <laughs> oh, honey roast carrots are nice, though. Parsnips, innit? Mm. <laughs> you sit around, you stuff your faces all day long, so why don't you stuff them with something that's good for you? Go ahead, try it. Mm. Eh, it's not bad. Yeah, no, try the cauliflower, it acts like a ladle. <laughs> Pasta and vegetables, if you're listening, why not add them to your next drink? I think a Bloody Mary with a bit of pasta in it could be all right, because Bloody Mary is just tomato, isn't it? It was raw pasta. I think, I don't know what would be worse, raw or cooked pasta <laughs> in a drink, to be honest. What's this? Oh, it's ravioli. You're going to use a cauliflower on your next cocktail? I don't know. Put it in the punch bowl. I don't think cauliflower is the one I go for. I'll think of some and get back to you. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, we'll leave it there and we can wait till the last call of this episode, James, yeah. and we'll find out what vegetable concoction you're going to come up with. But if we move into the main episodes, I'd say a very typical scene in Cheers. Yes. Sam, Norman, Cliff, and a young woman walks into the bar. That she does. She's a conventionally attractive woman. And Sam immediately tries to hit on her. Without even seeing her, he just senses that she's near. I think he's got a little mirror in the bar. 
That does sound like him. Where we can always see the, the entrance to the bar. There is a bar in Birmingham uh, mm. with mirrors everywhere. And a friend of mine sat down on a chair and went, this is the best spot because you could see every part of the bar from this chair. What was the bar called? Bruhemia. Ah, I think they should have went for more of a sort of reflection-based pun. Like a glassful? That's not very good. Ah, well. <laughs> Either way, Sam tries to make a move on her and she very quickly turns him down. He, he Actually, he wants to pour her a glass of champagne. He says he won it for the award of being the hottest single guy in Boston and he wants to share it with her. We've often mused about whether Sam is a good businessman, yet here he is um, pouring one of the more expensive drinks for something that might not work. I just think his moves have got a bit worse. Yeah. Do you think that's a like an age thing or an era thing? I don't know. No. It used to be a lot smoother. It did, yeah. How, how he flirted with Diane in the first episode was a lot more charming. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he realises this a little bit because uh, she does come back to the bar a little bit later on and he says, I'm, I'm not trying to get you drunk. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to try and think he realised a little bit, but she's still turning down. We'll find out for why sooner or later. Yeah, it's a bit of mystery that Sam can't get over, really. He's a bit persistent. We know that in his character. If he gets shot down, he doesn't really take no for an answer, which isn't a good trait. But It is not. <laughs> his persistence comes curiosity, and he, it's a mystery he wants to solve in this episode. You had my curiosity, now you have my attention. Then the cranes enter. I tell you what, James, the cranes, whenever the cranes enter the bar, I immediately love the episode. And I'll tell, we'll, we'll get into this later on, but I think this is the episode, and I, I'm probably late to say this, where I went, we've been watching this for so long and it happened so slowly, but I didn't realise that Frasier has very quickly become the main character in Cheers. Shock. <laughs> like, it happened so slowly that I didn't realise yeah. it. Maybe he should have his own spin-off. <laughs> but... Uh, and we'll get into it in this episode, but it's very, he was very much the leading man in this episode. Yeah, I'd say so. He was, would you call him the straight man of this episode? Well, there's lots of zaniness going on around him. Yeah, a little bit, but even then, I, and it's, it's just he's the relatable character in the episode. I see what you mean. He's your everyman, almost, which mm. is strange, because you got Norm there. <laughs> <laughs> Norm's not your everyman. He's dipping cauliflower in beer this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 average Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, the cranes arrive and they say that they've got quite a busy week. They're going to put Frederick into preschool and they've got an interview later this week to see if Frederick can attend the school. Because it's, it's not your average school. It's a private school. And I had this conversation with a few uh, guys at work who their children are of a similar age where they're getting them into schools. And I grew up in the countryside, not the city. I grew up in the countryside in Scotland, where it's very much, well, you just go to the closest school. <laughs> You know, there wasn't really like a choice and therefore not a competition over which school you went to. It just went, where'd you live? That's the school you're going to. You know, different worlds. Preschools are different, James. Preschools are brutal. I, I wouldn't know. I can't remember my time. almost all preschools are private. That is true. And I did go to a preschool in... You don't... Again, I'm a, I'm a mysterious man. You don't need to know why I've moved you're, around. You're a Londoner, James. I'm a Londoner. Yeah. Preschool, isn't it? <laughs> a, A's and B's and C's. All that. <laughs> Apples and pears, other assorted fruit. <laughs> Anyhow, they've got an interview at the Magic Hours Learning Centre that they're prepping for. But they arrive at Cheers for just a, a quick drink, really. And they're going out to the theatre because uh, Lilith has had a bit of sad news. How do, how do we say this, James? One of her lab rats has died. Oh, well, I was going to say it a little less sort of direct to the point. I was going to say, ah, she's, she's in mourning at the moment because one of her dear friends at work, colleague of many years, has passed away. So of course, 
Whitey the Lab Rat. So this is according to IMDb. So it, I don't know whether it's named after this character or whether it's just the fact that it was probably a white rat. Apparently named after Whitey from Leave It to Beaver. Ken Levine was a big fan of Leave It to Beaver. Uh, so quite possibly could have been named after the character. What are your favorite fictional rats, James? Splinter. Is, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, that one from Arthur. Oh, Rat Bun. Rat Yep, don't know why I can remember that. What other favourite? Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yes. Some famous lab rats. Same thing we do every night. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I thought we were basing this podcast on it. Our sort of personalities are two pinkies, I'd say, actually. I'd say that's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Barry comes in, he feels like the brain. I don't know who Troy would be out of those two. <laughs> what are we do this time, John? Same thing we do every night. <laughs> Talk about you. <laughs> Is it every, every Thursday for how many? Four five years. years? Five years? <laughs> <laughs> Bane is based on Orson Welles in terms of voice, isn't he? I think I think Orson Welles actually does the voice. Really? <laughs> Absolutely it, not. It could have been true. He was still alive until mid nineties, I think. No, I, I can confirm it. It's not him. Oh yeah, fine. But it sounds a lot like him. I've got to give. <laughs> I've got to give you that. I need to watch more Animaniacs. They're not rats, James. So they're irrelevant to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what about um oh uh, yeah i know ask me again who my favorite rats are uh, <laughs> who are your favorite rats james i think henry hill from goodfellas <laughs> that might have been what it was it actually yeah. was a person that the it was an actual person who told the feds about some crime and had to flee <laughs> what an episode that would have been but it's not it's, it's fairly clear that it's it's not it's a, it's a natural rat whitey she'd had for a long time it was her favorite lab rat and she's quite distraught about it to be fair yeah well i think she'd you know create a certain bond particularly if it's the control rat you know as in as in the the default rat not the authoritative rat they would go through so many rats, um, I assume for pharmacological reasons. I guess so. Do you know any facts about rats in uh, in science, James? I know of Rat Park. They did this experiment, and the validity of it over the years has been questioned. There were two cages, and there were a bunch of rats in each cage. One of the cages had like a little, you know, running wheel and some hay and things that rats like, and, you know, water tank and everything like this. And on the other cage, it only had a water tank dripping. In the water tank for both cages, they laced them with, I don't know, heroin or something. Something, you know, to make a drug, basically, is what they laced it with. And they found that the more entertaining cage uh, had rats who went to the drug water less. And the hypothesis they generated from this was that drug usage is higher in impoverished environments. And that's why it's being questioned over time, because the validity of it might not be true. But it's, it was an interesting hypothesis and an interesting experiment, I thought. Whew. Rats don't get off lightly in science, do they? <laughs> well, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard about the behavioral sink? No. This was a guy, uh, John B. Calhoun. He, he made a rat utopia, James. Oh, better than Rat Park, isn't it? He made a rat utopia. It could house 5,000 rats, but he started with four. And, I see. And the idea was about, and they, they had unlimited food, unlimited water. It was a utopia for rats. This is the good place. And, well, it, it turned to turned bad pretty quick. Really? There was no limitation on, it, it was to see what would happen around overcrowding. Right. And uh, they obviously reproduced, I think it doubled in numbers every 55 days or something. But it didn't, it never got to the full point of what it could house because it petered off because the rats became bored. There was like a, a group of rats that, that sort of divulged and the total society broke down. 
And they It'll were, be anarchy. <laughs> there were rats called the beautiful rats who had no interest in making babies. They just groomed, went at the top of the thing <laughs> and just hung out. Right. The beautiful rats. It was a pretty dark kind of... They, they had loads of food, but they were turned to cannibalism. Just out of choice. Out of cho- uh, yeah, dark, mm. dark stuff. So Whitey died, which is a shame. <laughs> I'm not saying Lilith did that, but I don't know Lilith's research, and I don't know why she had a rat. I've seen Pharmacological in Boston General. She's one of the head psychiatrists there. But she's deeply upset about Whitey, so much so that uh, she, she's got him in her purse. That'll be 750, Dr. Craig. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, gee, I've only got big bills. Perhaps Lilith has some change. Oh, dear God. What? What is it? Lilith is carrying a dead rat in her purse. <laughs> Why would she be carrying a dead rat in her purse? Just a wild guess. A snack? (laughs) This is not healthy at all. My wife has gone completely around the bend. Perhaps I rushed her through the grieving process too quickly. Oh, oh, the the poor woman. Dare you to look in the purse? (laughs) Dear me, dear you. (laughs) You know, obviously, I've I've got to dispose of white in. Break this fixation, then deal with the repercussions as they occur. <laughs> yeah, look first. I bet you won't kiss him. You two are sick. Oh, yeah, we've got a big problem. <laughs> Obviously, Lilith is having trouble breaking this attachment on her own. I've got to be the man and handle this in a mature fashion. Ooh, ooh. Maybe it's just the sheer reaction, but he tells the whole bar. I don't know how you'd play that off calmly. I don't know. Close the purse and slowly walk away. Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> like he's got a gun in his <laughs> Cliff and Norm get quite interested. They sort of circle the purse and uh, well, they sort of start daring each other to have a look. Frazier doesn't quite know what to do. But he takes the purse out the front of Cheers, deposits the rat in the bin, uh, returns to the bar, pays for the drinks, and Lilith returns from taking a phone call. Fraser says, we've got no time for the drinks, we'll just head straight to the theatre. And they exit, and you hear a sort of slightly muffled conversation at the top of the stairs with a very loud Lilith going, you did what? At this point, it's obvious that there's some disagreement between them. What would you do if your girlfriend was upset about an animal that they've worked with for whatever reason, dying, and had it in their luggage? I probably would put it in the bin. Actually saying that, I wouldn't. One time, James, a, a pigeon flew into the window. I was still living at my parents at the time, and I was the only one home, and a pigeon flew into the window. I didn't know what to do, so I picked it up in a carrier bag and put it in the garage. Just moved it. So I thought you can't can't put it in the bin. Same thing with my parents' house. Plenty of pigeons are thrown into the window there. We usually just left it. It was already dead. It was a full pigeon. Yeah, we thought the cats might be hungry. I didn't want a cat to get it. Would have been a, a massacre. Oh, it was already dead, you know. <laughs> to be honest, we live next to a forest, so my dad just probably yeeted it into the forest. <laughs> like he was doing a shop with a dead animal. To answer your question, James, I'd probably close the purse and go to the theatre. Just uh, a funky smell when the fat lady sings. Just because <laughs> of the amount of time before that happens. Two hours is no time. Anyhow, I'd probably just ignore the situation and hope it all panned out all right. But that maybe says more about me than it does Fraser. Meanwhile, uh, they're teasing Rebecca because of her healthy eating. And everyone's got some uh, marshmallow snacks. 
Nom, 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 nom. Do you know what? I think this is the best advert I've ever seen for like a, one of those American sweet shops. Do you have a favorite marshmallow snack? Well, I've never had a snowball and I've never had a ho-ho, but I do not like Twinkies particularly. Do you like a tonics tea cake? Yes. <laughs> I do, I've never heard them ref- referred to as a tonics tea cake. Just a tea you know cake. Little foil joy. <laughs> little foil of joy. It's basically, for our American listeners, it's a small dome, let's say, of chocolate. And the base is a kind of biscuity layer underneath the chocolate and... The whole hemisphere is filled with marshmallow. It's a like, very thin layer of chocolate. Very foamy marshmallow. Sometimes, if you're lucky, there's some jam on the inside as well. Oh, those are the lucky ones. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do, a walnut whip's nice. Yeah, wagon wheel. We have some good treats in, uh, in the UK. We're going to get people writing in to complain now you've said that. <laughs> have you tried a, a snowball, a ho-ho, or a Twinkie before, James? That sounded like an inappropriate question. I don't know. <laughs> I think I've had a Twinkie before, and I think I've had a snowball before. Maybe not a ho-ho. A ho-ho just looks like a mini roll. Yeah, it could be. It's like a tiny turnover chocolate, isn't it? Yeah, a little, little rolled up cake. But this is exactly the conversation Rebecca can't stand because she's trying to have a health kick. And Woody goes, the best thing about snowballs is... Bite-sized. Bite-sized and then proceeds to stuff like a fistful of dough in his mouth. I, I was impressed. Do you know, Woody's got a, a savage line to Rebecca this episode as well. Do you know the one I'm on about? No, say it. What is it? Uh, Rebecca says, if I eat vegetables, I'll live longer. And Woody goes, I have a question. You know, you're always <laughs> doing... <laughs> always talking about how much you hate your life how come you want to make it longer you're just like whoa what he's not messing around this episode it's a bit harsh isn't it <laughs> he's kind of a blood this episode so while all this debate about sweet treats is going on we uh learn who this woman is interested in instead it's a plot twist it's a pull twist mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> she's going out with paul i'll tell you what paul is uh, coming into his own isn't he he's got a tab He's got a date. That's all you need for a date. <laughs> I'd say Sam's not particularly nice about this. He tries not to insult Paul. Mm. He doesn't try very hard. The assumption is maybe Paul has a quite well-paid job, or maybe she's using Paul in some way. And Sam asks him outright and says, uh, I don't mean to offend you. Uh, he's trying to put it delicately, but he says, why would a girl be caught dead with you when she could be with Sam? Paul doesn't seem that offended by it. I think Paul's just happy. <laughs> He does seem happy. He, he says that she is a chubby chaser. His own words. Cliff has a bit of a uncouth phrase as well, where he said maybe uh, she's the type of woman who teaches basketball and does her own carpentry, is Cliff's speculation. There's a lot going on in this episode, including casual homophobia. We've not even talked about the gun range yet. <laughs> the gun range? We'll get there, James. We'll get there. Anyhow, Paul's very happy. <laughs> uh, Paul's very happy. Sam is most distressed. Uh, and he goes up to... Paula, we learn her name is. Yes, Paul and Paula, which the, the guys have a, a bit of a hey, joke about. Hey, Paula. I didn't know the song, so I'm sort of in Paul's shoes here. It's a catchy one. Hey, it's on, it's on the playlist, don't worry about it. <laughs> but it, it gives Paul a chance to have a few more lines. We've seen him have a, quite a few roles within a few episodes. Now he was quite a key role in Rebecca's wedding. We saw him a few episodes back with a bit more of a role demanding his tab, and now we see him in a relationship. But Sam feels the need to go up to Paula and sort of criticise her for discounting him because of his body. Excuse me, listen. <clears throat> Apparently you've been, you know, uh, shooting me down here for the last couple of days because of the way I look. So? I think it's unfair that you're not willing to get to know the real me. I think if you did, we could be really good friends. <laughs> you want to be friends? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Okay, well, maybe we could start by you introducing me to some of your friends. 
especially that large and lovely one right over there. I mentioned it briefly before, James. We do get a gun range in this episode because uh, Rebecca's having some rice cakes. Yeah. The gang say, oh, we, we really like them. Yeah. Carla grabs a, a stack of them to hand down. They shout, pull. She throws them in the air and they all quite accurately pellet them with uh, some like BB gun. I thought that looked like a whale of a time. I'm surprised how accurate they were. I want to give it a go now. <laughs> clay pigeon shooting, isn't it? Well, it was exactly that in a fun bar environment. You ever been clay pigeon shooting? No, James, I've not. Some of us didn't grow up in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> James with his tartan jacket and his deer stalker hat. Poor just shooting plates. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have you have you done, James? I have gone a couple of times. My sister is um My sister owns some land. My, no, no, my sister's surprisingly good at clay pigeon shooting and poker and drinks whiskey. So I'm you know, somehow she's got the sensibilities of a fifty year old Scotsman. <laughs> Note to self, don't mess with James's sister. She can work a gun and she could probably beat me up poker. She's she's got an axe as well. <laughs> just how were you at the clay pigeon shooting? I was all right. To be fair, I was impressed by uh, their accuracy in the bar, but they are probably a metre. Four feet. metre and a half. Yeah, probably quite easy, isn't it? I, I'm terrible at axe throwing. I've never tried because I don't want to risk it. When axe throwing with trolls, I stood head on and threw the axe and he went, mate, you look like someone from some 70s exploitation <laughs> movie. The hatchet man. Just <laughs> there in my cowboy boots and everything. <laughs> You've seen me playing darts and that was... Fairly violent. Yeah, you you get a few pints in you and a dart and <laughs> you you become an aggressive man. <laughs> Only to the dartboard. <laughs> I think it's good that I, I skipped out on the axe throw. What's next? Frasier, because he's been in the office and not slept well, because the couch doesn't have as much give as he thought. I just want to quickly, we'll backstep a little bit. I just yeah. want to, we didn't get to see this scene, but I want to picture this scene where Frasier goes, Ah, Sam, she's, she's kicked me out and I've got nowhere to stay. Can I stay with you? And Sam goes, <laughs> no, but you can sleep in the office. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's what happened. So yeah. Frasier's there in a bar at night. I imagine the heating gets turned off. It's just there yep. freezing in a little cold. It's cold floors. It's just tiled floors. He's got his suit on. No wonder he looks disheveled when he wakes up in the morning. Tell you what, though, he's got five o'clock shadow, which came on quickly, didn't it? It's Kelsey Grammer. You saw him in the beard competition. Frasier has no time to shave. He didn't even get it. He's just come straight from the office and he's missed a phone call from Lilith. Woody's took a message. Uh, he says it's an apology. It's far from that. It's a passive aggressive rant of venom. Dr. Crane, your wife called. I didn't want to wake you. Oh, she called to apologize? Well, sort of. Uh, she said for you to meet her at Frederick School. You had that interview? Oh, I completely forgot. Well, she also said to tell you she knew you'd forget because you're such an uncaring human being. But for once in your life, think of your child, comb your few remaining hairs and wash that canned hammy call her face and get over there. <laughs> you know, now that I reread this, it sounds less and less like an apology. We get a new scene, a new set, which is the daycare center. I don't think it'll be around for long. No. They grow up so quick, is that what you mean? Yeah, the set. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, the, the Lilith's been holding the proverbial fort. I have to say that the set is well decorated. I like to think that it's images and pictures drawn by the cast and crew's children. But I'll just, oh. I'll make that up and put it out there. Uh, we can say it was. <laughs> <laughs> and we also meet two administrators who work at the school. Both come in with a, quite, a, quite a nice personality, quite endearing. And they, they're both quite candid with uh, Lilith and Fraser and say, you know what? 
let's not beat around the bush unofficially. We're very happy to have Frederick as part of the school. We're really happy to have you on board. Looking forward to him starting. Before you go, would you like to see our uh, new pet hamster's children? Sylvia's had babies. <laughs> Lovely. It brings out a very maternal energy in Lilith. Yeah, she goes, that little one looks just like Whitey. And then they ask who Whitey is. <laughs> and only a quote can do the justice here, because she goes on a, a rant and a half. Oh, look at that little one in the corner. <laughs> he looks just like Whitey. Who's Whitey? Oh, he was my favourite dead rat that this bastard took and threw in the trash! Don't mind her. She's just over-emotional and crazy as a loon. I suppose you'd like to take one of these and throw it in the garbage, too. Well, why don't you just bite the heads off these birds while you're at it, Dr. Death? But I am not the one who goes walking around with a decomposing corpse of a rat in my purse. You're a hateful man. And you are a troubled, disturbed woman. But a wonderful mother. She doesn't hold back in uh, the conversation, letting them know exactly what Fraser's done in throwing her rodent in the bin. Um, <laughs> and I, I suppose maybe the nickname Rat Girl is after this, and maybe yeah. that's what Lilith is known as in the nursery from then on. The argument doesn't get resolved in the nursery. It's not until later in Cheers. Fraser and Lilith come together to reconcile, I guess you'd say. This is where I think, you know, I was saying Fraser. So it's, it so slowly happened that I didn't realise he was now the leading man of this sitcom. <laughs> because he gets the end monologue. And uh, B.B. Newworth uh, won Emmy for... I know. In this episode, Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. Kelsey Grammer, not nominated this year. Puzzling. Woody Harrelson nominated for Best Supporting. Ted Danson nominated for Best Actor. Ray Pullman nominated. Kirsty Alley won. But yeah, Frasier's monologue here at the end, I think, definitely should have been worthy of a nomination or at least the nod to it. Because his, his closing remark sums up sort of life. Of course, I overreacted. But I think I know why. I was confronted for the first time with the death of someone close to me. I understand, dear. It's what we call a crisis. I know what we call it, Fraser. <laughs> the upshot is, I've never been more acutely aware of how precious and fragile life is for each of us. Well, darling, I think everyone would agree that existence is tenuous at best. Therefore, all we can do is embrace life. And you and I, we're so fortunate. We, we have a baby, the very symbol of life reborn. Fraser, he's no longer a baby. He'll be going to school in September. Oh, yes. If we can successfully negotiate a preschool interview without slipping into a scene from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> but, darling, you're right. Frederick is getting older. You know, there is a way we could renew ourselves yet again. How would we do that? We could have another child. We could, couldn't we? That's a wonderful idea. Oh, Fraser, suddenly I'm filled with a glow. Let's start right now. It's all so strange. A seemingly insignificant creature lives and dies. Marriage is threatened. A child's education is almost destroyed. Yet somehow, some way, I'm getting some action out of it. <laughs> Oh, 
He's a witty man. He delivers it with a lot of sort of... We said earlier this season he's got a crooner energy to him. And this feels like he could. he's bringing that sort of crooner energy even still. Shall we talk about the cast? Yes, we should, James. It's quite, quite, there's a few faces in this one. There is, yeah. B.B. Newirth as Dr. Lilith Stern and Crane. Paul Wilson as Paul Craypence. Beth Tucson as Paula. She made her debut in the music video for Bon Jovi's She Don't Know Me. She also appeared in Berserker, Dead Heat, Monsters, Dallas, Growing Pains, Booker, Star Trek The Next Generation, MacGyver, 21 Jump Street, Nightmare Cafe, Matlock, Melrose Place, Babylon 5, Savannah, Deadly Games, Hijack, Scream 3, The Young and the Restless, and many more. Cheryl Lee Bruce as administrator. She also appeared in The Second Voyage of the Mimi, Music Box, Daughters of the Dust, Victimless Crimes, Law and Order, The Fugitive, Missing Persons, The Twilight Zone Radio Dramas, Prison Break, Stranger Than Fiction, and many more. Andrei Muropolsky as Administrator. He also appeared in New Wave Theatre. And that's it. Peter Schreiner as Pete. Lee Allen, Susan Evans, Don Bennett, and Joan Carey are all uncredited as bar patrons. Fernando Cabillas as uncredited bar patron. He also appeared in Hill Street Blues, Falcon Crest, L.A. Law, Talent for the Game, Selena, and Morning Meal. What an ensemble of cast. Yeah. Hello, Cliff. Oh, it's letters back from the preschool. We've got to answer some questions in order to pass the final test and get Freddy in. Think we can make it, John? We'll give it a go. Yeah. I don't normally have a good streak with these things, James. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. I tell you what, James, we uh, we found down the sad news of YT passing, Lilith's lab rat. What time did they uh, pronounce his death? What time? What time? What a weird way for people who don't know the context. <laughs> I'm going to say 8pm. 9 o'clock. Oh, it's pretty close. How much do two Glen Levey rocks cost? Uh, being the whiskey. Whiskey on the rocks. How much do two $7. of them cost? $7.50. There you go. We got one for two so far. Sounds like maybe a good drink to dip a cauliflower in. <laughs> <laughs> James, we talked a lot about rats in this episode. We mentioned some of our favourite rats. What is the longest living rat? In terms of age or... Age. Size. (laughs) How could longest living be determined by size? Tape measure. (laughs) No, 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 no. no, no. (laughs) The the oldest rat in records. 47. No. (laughs) (laughs) You've overshot by quite a bit there, James. Uh, and should I? Uh, domestic rats normally live to two to three years. Oh, I thought they lived to about thirteen. No, no, no. Then forty-seven. Gonna... <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> uh, okay, but, uh, if, it, if that, that, that really is master splinter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if they live to usually two to three years, I'm going to say nineteen. Seven. Seven years. Oh, well, okay, fine. Are uh, you overshot it? It's not impressive now. Rodney was uh, born in January 1983. Uh, he lived seven years and four months, and he died the 25th of May 1990. Oh, so not far from when this episode aired. Yeah, yeah, just before. Is uh, this episode dedicated to Rodney? No. no, no, no is no, our it, episode? Or? Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Find out when we do a toast at the end, Jibs. <laughs> what breakfast does Rebecca try to get Fraser to eat? A rice cracker? Can you... Elaborate with peanut butter on. Oh no, I don't. 
I mean, you're you're close, but I I don't think you're close enough. Bean curd on fiber-rich bran crackers. Oh, I don't think I was close. I think that sounds much healthier than what I suggested. So, unfortunately, Freddy is not getting through to this uh, Magic Hours Learning Center. No, I think we, we lost every question. We got one question right. How much does two whiskeys cost? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Try and challenge me next time, James. <laughs> And I think that brings us on to our last call at the bar today, James. Are we doing the whiskey and cauliflower? I think, yes. Two blend over with the, the cauliflower in it. Toasted um, to Rodney the Rat. I think so. I tell you what, James, what are we going to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, John. Talk about cheers. <laughs> Talk toast, about... <laughs> toast our listeners to say thank you for listening to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a cheers podcast. Cheers. <laughs>